1: Hey, gang. Great news. We have extended our partnership with the brilliant crew at collegefootballisland.com and the Aer Lingus College Football Classic this year. Notre Dame Navy is the big game. And me, Ben, Propo and more going to be out there for all the build up. We're going to be recording pods. There's talk of a live show. We'll be at the game. We are super excited about it. We're going to be dropping special episodes of College Days here on the NC Show in the build-up to it. Lots of brilliant guests coming your way. If you haven't, if you didn't make it over last year, you've got to try and get out there this year or next year's game's been announced as well. So head on over to collegefootballisland.com. Find out more information from the website. We hope to see you out there. Great news to kick off the show. Yeah. Uh, Brett Favre is not suing Pat McAfee anymore. That's what it's <laughs> off.
0: I mean, that would okay. have been the American equivalent of Wagatha Christie, wouldn't it? Um, it would. <laughs> that, oh, boy. That, I would have paid. I would have paid admission to go see Oh, to that would be the ringside
1: every, every seat every day you know, <laughs> for that What
0: one. did they do? Did the
1: lawyers suggest mediation? Settlement. <laughs> uh, Kel breeze their settlement. Um, the... Of course, this refers to McAfee on his pod. I think it was on his pod, wasn't it? But anyway, the, the quote attributed to McAfee was that father had been stealing from poor people in Mississippi, and that was... Um, yeah,
0: I think he tweeted. I think he tweeted was a tree, that. The tweet you know, Yeah, um, which is, I guess, not untrue, given mm. that he was accused of fraudulently getting tax money from the, mm. you know, from, um, to build a volleyball stadium at,
1: Mississippi State, where his daughter just happened to be playing volleyball. Pure coincidence, I'm sure. Um, This was Favre's tweet. I'm happy that, and it's good to see actually that Favre hasn't succumbed to buying the blue tick. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Solidarity, (laughs) Favre. I I knew he's a good guy. He wrote, uh, I'm happy that Pat McAfee and I have settled this litigation. Like Pat said, he was attempting to be funny (laughs) and not commenting (laughs) based on any personal knowledge. (laughs) <laughs> oh,
0: beautiful. Yeah, well we all try, you know what Alexander Pope said? Uh, you know, he he didn't play didn't in the NFL, but actually um, no. he was the XFL, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um all the all the world would fain be wits and millions miss for one that hits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the story of my life. Well, quite. I think that you should definitely adhere to that. Mike, we're speaking the XFL. I want to. I want to get into that in a bit because their season is wrapped. So i would be interested to get your take on what you think, whether it's- Oh, no, so. really? Has it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, quite well, that, cha- that uh, probably, changes my life. <laughs> that Probably tells you everything you need to know about that. But I guess in a broader, broader question as well, the importance of having developmental leagues again. The USFL in full, in full swing. So we'll get into that. There's some other news around the NFL, but want to lead off, of course, with Jim Brown. Uh, one of the all-time great players. In fact, in your obituary for the Guardian, Iron Mike, you named him as the greatest running back of all time, which I thought was interesting when you think of Emmett Smith, of course, and Sweetness. So why is he the greatest for you? Well, it, it's funny because um, I, I see the great...
0: I mean, the, the, the case against Jim Brown is... He only had nine seasons, but that's the same case against Barry Sanders. Mm. And many of the people who are making the case against Brown are, are supporting Sanders. Um, but what I see when I watch it is his domination of the league at the time was way above anybody else in the league. You know, he one year Jim Brown out, uh, sorry, um, Jim Taylor outgained him when Paul Horning was out and Taylor had to do all the running himself and um, and that's not in itself that but people then say, well, that was a different league. Yes. And he was as big as most of the you know, linebackers and some of his linemen and that kind of stuff. Yes. But when you watch him run, Jim Brown was the prototype or, or the, of the one back offense. He's listed as a fullback. He was always listed as a fullback because he was six foot two and he weighed 230 pounds. And fullbacks were the big guys who dove into the line and ran plunges and blocked for the halfbacks. And the halfbacks were the guys. And they remember they were mostly playing straight T formation or or with one flanker, you know, the halfback and fullback, not necessarily in the twin set that became um, the pro set. Um, And Brown could do both plus he could catch the ball you know he was he would be in a modern game he would be a one back player and would be effective you know he he was better than jerome way better than jerome bettis Um, He didn't like I think he he um, challenged Jerome Bettis to a 40 yard dash when he was about 57 and (laughs) Bettis beat him. um, But Brown pulled up lame. He pulled a muscle. But, you know, he didn't like the way he ran out of bounds. He didn't run over the last because part of his thing was you punish the guy who tries to tackle you. Um, He didn't like O.J. Simpson for the same reason and other personal reasons as well. Um, But. so I, so that that to me seals the case. The only guy who dominates by such a margin at one of the at one of the um quantifiable positions is Don Hudson, the Green Bay receiver in the early late 30s early 40s who was a great pass receiver in a day when the passing game wasn't that big and you know he led the league much like brown. He led the league almost every year in in receiving yards, touchdowns and stuff. But again, that was a different game. I think you know, you have to kind of put him up near the top, not to Jerry Rice, because Jerry Rice did it for so long at such a high level that he's inarguably the greatest receiver ever. Um, but Hudson's up there in the argument with the other with the other contenders behind him. Jim Brown, there really is no argument. I think I saw Emmett Smith saying mm. that he rated himself third mm. behind, Jim, behind Jim Brown and,
1: and yeah, Walter yeah. Payton.
0: Yeah. When Barry Sanders went into the Hall of Fame, he was presented by his father. And after the ceremony, reporters came up and and asked quite naturally, do you think your son's the greatest runner of all time? And uh, and Barry Sanders' father said, "What? <laughs> Everybody knows Jim Brown's the greatest runner of all time."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Barry, there. thanks, Dan. I, I, yeah, and I think that's that to that's me. You move. know, like such a bad move. Case, case dismissed. Yeah, you know, there we go. It, it, the like, numbers, um, um, the numbers make sense. You mentioned, as, as you say, that only nine seasons, um, but he made him count. He won the rushing title eight times, all right. pro, eight times. MVP three times. When it's time he retired, he was the league's rushing leader, of course, averaging. Uh, more than hundred yards per game. I mean, extraordinary numbers here. But and the one, I, the mm. one I left out was he played
0: 118 games. Mm. He he, w- he was in the league for 118 games. He started and played. All of game. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Stafford-esque. Uh, that is the um, uh, the uh, success he had on the field. Of course, was if not mirrored, but certainly um, he found success off the field in hollywood and that's yeah. i mean that's an interesting <laughs> i will not make the case that he's the greatest yeah. actor of all time but he's i love him in any given sunday it's a good turn he's of course it was the defensive it coordinator was. pacino's defensive coordinator in any given sunday and, and
0: strangely enough like you know unlike a lot of football players he didn't make many football movies right you know, he wasn't he wasn't a part of that he um and that's how he got out of football he wasn't planning he was planning to retire the next season so he would have played one more season right um because he he could make more money basically acting and you know, and it was easier on the body. And um, but let me backtrack just a second as to what a great athlete he was.
1: Right. Cause I know you're a sport close yeah. to your heart. He excelled in, of course. Yeah,
0: and, and to Belichicks, I think, is part of the reason why they became such friends. Um, he was the greatest lacrosse player in, in the college game, probably until the 1980s. Um, when the new, you know, by the time the new sticks had been, they weren't all wooden sticks made by Indians in the Mohawk Valley, the plastic and graphite and that kind of stuff. The Tate brothers um, came along and, and probably were, took his place. But he, he was such a legend that they changed the rules because Jim Brown would get the ball in his stick and then clamp it to his chest and you couldn't get it away, from him, you know. <laughs> right. And so they said, finally, you can't clamp the ball. And that's why when you watch lacrosse, you see everybody has to cradle it in the in the net of the stick in order to run and keep the ball within within the stick. Because if you run it, it'll, it'll just bounce out. Um, he played – Syracuse was not a huge power at the time. And he went to Syracuse because a local um, – banker i think lawyer was a syracuse lacrosse alumni and had been an all-american and jim brown was so good at lacrosse that he wanted him to um go to syracuse so he said you know 40 schools were after him including like ohio state and penn state and he said well you know you've got a scholarship to syracuse and he didn't ben schwartzwalder was the coach at syracuse and he didn't want another colored player on his team because he had had one (laughs) and they had con they, they had had some conflict um but he went to Syracuse. He had a really tough time with Schwarzwald, you know, until finally his talent, you know, it was it took till his third year, his junior junior year, for his talent to, you know, kind of mean you couldn't stop, you couldn't not play him. He had scored, he had averaged thirty eight points a game in his senior year in high school in basketball, which was a record for Long Island, which was broken a couple of years later by Carl Yastrzemski, who became the <laughs> right. outfielder for the Boston Red Sox. Um, So he played basketball at Syracuse. He played lacrosse at Syracuse, All-American. And he also ran track. Or, you know, he he did the jump. He did a couple of jumps. He did shot and discus. He could run on the relay sprint. And and, um, in 1955, uh, which would have been in between his junior year of college, he was fifth in the U.S. decathlon championship. (laughs) Now, if uh, you can imagine yeah. a six foot two, 235, 30 pound football player pole vaulting, <laughs> you've got <laughs> yeah. more imagination yeah. than I do.
1: The and, pole vault was the case here, presumably.
0: Yeah, and, the, he and the thing was, all the other guys are full time athletes mm. and he's a part time track athlete in the spring because he's playing lacrosse and right. sometimes he would like run over from the lacrosse field, take <laughs> off his thing, put on the thing and then do a couple events and then run back to the lacrosse field. It'd still be uh, the best, the best athlete. And, yeah. And and people people sometimes make the mistake and say he was fit in the Olympic trials. It actually wasn't, it was the year before 55, and the field was weak. The top the guy who won it was Bob Richards, who was twice the Olympic pole vault champion. And he was trying to convert to the decathlon um mm-hmm. You know, to make the team in, in decathlon in '56, but Rayford Johnson and um, Milt, Milt uh, Thompson, who was in, played in the NFL, were the two guys ahead of him in the in the US. Anyway, um, so Brown
1: just on was that all-around athlete. On that whole thing, do you miss do you miss that a little bit now? Modern era. Oh, yeah. Specialization. Specialization. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's everything's professional, you know, down down to the high school level. Yeah, exactly.
1: And increasingly an earlier age. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The moment You're showing flair.
0: My my nephew played football in in high school and, and wrestled. And he literally got thrown off the team in the spring, like in February, because he was late for a weightlifting session because he had had wrestling practice. Mm. And the wrestling coach had to intercede to get him put back on the team. It's a, it's a crazy, it's a crazy world. And
1: Brown's last on, game on that, with Brown just on that, if, sure. you know, if, if Brown played in the modern era and uh, to your point at uh, high school level, all these other sports that he was great at were marginalized, concentrate on football, everything we know now about nutrition and training and all the enhancements What level would he have hit, do you think, if he played? Well, yeah, I
0: mean, he would have trained more. I'm not sure he would have concentrated, you know, because he enjoyed this kind of stuff. Um, And he was, I mean, he was such a natural in terms of body. You know, that was God-given um i don't think he needed to work out you know or he needed to work out he didn't need to lift weights and make himself even bigger and stronger cuz mm-hmm. he was big and big and, and strong as it was i was reading stories about him he he shot in the 80s the first time he ever played golf and within a couple of weeks he was shooting like 77 or something, <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that and the only time he was ever um convicted of an actual assault on somebody And we can, we'll get into that later, but, but was a guy and they were in a, they were in a match tournament or something. And the guy, they argued about where to, where the guy had put the, placed the ball for the putt, you know, where he had marked it. And Brown was swallowed up choking him he was sentenced to a day in prison <laughs> all i could think of was rodney dangerfield yeah. and, <laughs> and ted, ted, ted baxter yeah you
1: know? so um, you well you've touched on it so, so there is um well actually before we before we get into that to talk about his activism as well and you mentioned in your in your obituary which is we'll, we'll push out yeah. on well, the one more
0: thing well, if i that. if i may oh, sure. just one more thing before we get to it because no one seemed to have mentioned it and i didn't either because of limited space His last game, they played the Cotton Bowl. Syracuse played in the Cotton Bowl against SMU. And they lost 28-27. Brown missed it. He had an extra point blocked. He was the kicker as well. Of
1: course he was. (laughs) Of course.
0: And um, he had an extra point blocked. But SM, I read an article years ago about this. SMU's game plan was to run at Brown. They, they played both ways in those days so he played linebacker and they tended to you know kind of put him on the weak side and you know but SMU ran their offense at Brown all the time not that they were pre- more successful necessarily but just to tire him out more right
1: exactly yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah
0: and that was that was the game plan and and it worked it worked by a point he he was the sixth guy drafted in his round in the, the NFL draft in the first round of the NFL draft the first guy was Paul Harning who was a quarterback at Notre Dame. Um, the golden boy and became a a running back, a halfback in the, in the NFL. Um, But the Heisman trophy vote, he finished fifth, I think, or sixth. And there were two things in that. The Heisman vote is regional. In other words, they have, you know, you get, you get 800 of a thousand in the West, you get, you know, 200 of a thousand in the South, you get zero of a thousand, you know, in the and the East was the worst place to be from because Penn State was really the only Eastern football power at the time. Um, Syracuse was still playing Cornell and Colgate, and places like that. And he was black, of course, which was <laughs> which was not a positive in the, in most of the you know down south or mm. the the Heisman voters. So anyway, back back to the rest now.
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, we we've, we touched on his um, second career as a as an actor, but the film that you talk about in the obituary, and we'll put the link to to Carson's uh, Guardian obit. In, in the show notes if you want to That's check good, that yeah. click that and have a read of it it's brilliant as usual uh one night in miami which is a regina king movie made released a couple of years ago right um yeah which is um uh which features um brown along with uh muhammad ali or cassius clay at the time uh sam cook and malcolm x and it's a, a fictitious uh, uh a representation of course of um of jim brown but based on uh, based on well, how how much of it based on a an event that happened, but how much of it is it's it's dramatized, dramatized and we yeah. and,
0: and we can't we can't really know everything that happened with these four guys, you know, meeting. But it, in one sense, it was a an early meeting of of, of sort of a black summit, right? And um, it was before Clay um, became Muhammad Ali, but not not much more before that. Malcolm X obviously was an influence on that. Um, because he had converted to Islam as well, and um, I think uh this is the wonderful thing, which is true. At that that ringside, when they're interviewing Ali after the fight, he says, "Sam Cook, you know, don't talk to Sam Cook. <laughs> Look, Sam Cook's here." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, he was as much in awe as anybody else. But um, it, it, I put a quote in my thing, which I probably should have referenced Malcolm X in, but. You know Brown's kind of civil rights approach was first off he he wanted to be recognized as a man you know um, the dignity that white people were were afforded um, uh, but secondly he was very conservative he voted for Richard Nixon um, a couple of times I think he I think he voted for Trump in in 2016 because he he was into um, uh, self reliance. And, and his first black, the black economic union, which he started, he called it green power, not black power, because he said, you know, it, it's nowhere, we're nowhere unless we can run our own businesses, you know, make make our own money, produce our own e- education. And He grew up in um, St. Simon Island in Georgia, which is, it was like a separate, a separate community set up by freed slaves or or, or slaves who would escape. And it wasn't really bothered by the white establishment in Georgia, you know, they were kind of, kind of self self self-reliant in that sense too. And I think that had a big effect on him, but certainly the reprise of that night in Miami was the Cleveland summit that he held in 67 um, when Muhammad Ali announced that he was, you know, that he was not going to uh, enter the draft, the military draft and, um, and was stripped of his titles and, and Brown called together this summit and um, the famous photo in the front row is Bill Russell, um, mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, who's kind of the moderator running things uh, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was then in college and still called cinder Um, But these are like four of the biggest names in in American sport. And and then behind them are a bunch of guys, mostly football players. If you can recognize <laughs> all of them, <laughs> you know, you're, you're older and better than me, but, but, but there's an, um, Willie Davis of the Packers, um, John Wooten, who was with, with, uh, Brown on, on the Browns, Bobby Mitchell, who was on the Browns, you know, big names at the time. And, and it's, a, it's the photo tells you everything because it's such a dignified Curtis McClinton of the uh, chiefs, the photo, it's such a dignified group of obviously strong <laughs> and talented men. Um, Carl Stokes is in that group, too, who later became mayor of Cleveland. And um, it was it was a huge cause celeb at the time. You know, people didn't automatically say, oh, what an impressive group. You know, there was a lot of the uppity blacks kind of kind of thing. You know, who who do they think they are there? Um, I I always point out that, you know, Bill Russell, Jim Brown. Jim Brown was called Jimmy by a lot of people, you know, even in the first the first uh, like book about him was called Jimmy Brown. He didn't call himself Jimmy. He was Jim, you know, uh, Jimmy was a diminutive. Bill Russell was the same way. It was never Billy Russell or Willie Russell or anything like that. You know, that was kind of the thing they automatically did to black, black kids. Um, And so they, 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 it it was to me at the time. And, you know, it was just amazingly um, powerful, you know, uh, and I didn't really need much convincing of the civil rights movement. I was already there because uh, of my minister I grew up with who went on the freedom rides and that kind of stuff. And had te- taught me well. Um, but, you know, it's it's like you you just see the strength, the strength of belief in these guys and, and in Jim Brown. And if you can watch, he goes head to head with Lester Maddox on one of the talk show, Dick Cavett, maybe. You know, it's all on YouTube now. Um, you you he you can watch how intelligent he was, how well spoken he was, how con- how controlled he was, which is ironic in in some ways because you know um, some of his some of his strength and violence was kind of uncontrolled.
1: But mm. well, let's think talk about his legacy then, because as you so eloquently described, he was a force of nature on and off the field. But there is um, a tainting of his legacy, and something you reference in uh, in your piece there as you mentioned the only conviction he had was for the you know the story <laughs> the altercation on the greens but there were a number of accusations and um uh in in terms of well rape very serious or most seriously but a number of other associated accusations none of which of course he was um well either the victim didn't press charges or he was acquitted, right? That, the, right, in, yeah. Every case. And
0: and and oftentimes the you know, the mo- the most famous one was um when the um his girlfriend fell or was pushed off the balcony uh, of his house while the police or as the police were arriving because they were having a huge fight. Right. Um the cause of the fight was she discovered Brown was having an affair with Gloria Steinem, who was the most prominent feminist leader in the, in the United States, right. which, which is interesting. Um, so, <laughs> she'd also had one with Rayford Johnson. So um,
1: right. it, 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 it was, um, it was, it was very interesting. One last thing on him, Mike, you know, when we talk about um, greats and, and players that um, affect us because of their, because of their brilliance on the field in particular, um, but in, in the case of Jim Brown, beyond that, Inevitably, as individuals, we're connected to players of our generation, right? And I guess in in particular formative years, you know? Understandably so, yeah. So what can we do to protect uh, the fading, the dying of of the light with greats like Jim Brown? Yeah,
0: one of the things that got cut out of my old bit was um, a quote from Bill Belichick, which when he was coach of the Browns, um, he brought... He he showed he talked about Jim Brown and half the players didn't know who he was. Right. So so he <laughs> he then he then showed them film, you know, and then the next year he brought Jim Brown in and and it, it was Belichick and Brown bonded. And Belichick worked for, his, you know, did a lot of stuff for his American American program, which is still going, which would, you know, went into gangland, you know, tried to get gangs to negotiate, bring bring them um, together. And um Belichick gave a quote at the time saying it would. You know, he was so afraid that Jim Brown would be forgotten, um, both for the football reasons and for his you know legacy as a man in the community and and in in the larger sense. And you know I, I, that got cut out, and it was probably unnecessary. But I, I agree with him completely because you you have to be able to look at these people in context of the times, both on the field and off the field, and it's, he's human, you know, he, he was heroic, but he wasn't a hero. And we tend to make heroes out of players, but they, they have flaws, you know, their frailties, shortcomings, um, lots of famous people do. And sometimes we punish them for it. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we do. And then, you know, and then forgive them for other reasons. But I think that, you know, it is part of his legacy, but but it has to be taken in the context of the times. And it has to be taken in the context of the other things that he did. Um, Yeah. yeah. um, You know, yeah, I was reminded, I I found it, there was a coach called um, Lefty James, (laughs) who was the coach at Cornell and um, football coach. And they played Syracuse, obviously, but um, Syracuse was playing Cornell at Cornell in lacrosse. And he just wandered over, you know, take a look at the game. Then he realized that was Jim Brown out there, you know, he had played against on the side and he looked at him and said, oh my goodness, they let him play with a stick. <laughs> and i thought hmm <laughs> i wonder what the what the con what the context was there you know right. it's kind of like and and one last thing on the movies i think is you know it was because of the movies that he quit football he was making dirty dozen which is yeah, which right. still holds up well it's a great movie um and the filming overran it was in england and and uh the Browns had started training camp and Jim Brown, you know, told them he'd be late for training camp. And Art Modell was now the owner who had, he'd had forced Paul Brown out of out of the ownership. And Modell fi- said he would find Jim Brown one hundred dollars a day for every day he was late. Now, that was a kind of face saving move. because you know, one hundred dollars a day. If he's two weeks late, 1,400 bucks, you know, he was making that on the movie every day, you know. So anyway, but but it was a face saving move. But Jim Brown was not having a face saving move, you know, <laughs> on principle. You know, I'm Jim Brown. Um, kind of like uh, kind of like Jacob Rees mogg you know, the or David Davis, the Germans need us more than we need them. <laughs> you know, and, and Jim Brown said said, um, you know, you need me more than I need you. And and he was true, right? It's interesting too, in football terms. Another thing I'll probably put in my column, my Patreon column. Paul Brown coached the Browns, and in the ten years, Otto Graham was his quarterback. He went to a championship game every year. All four, they won all four in the All American Football Conference. Then for six years, they they um, they uh, went to the NFL Championship final. I think they were three and three in those games. Um, Graham retires. They they draft Jim Brown for the next season. Brown won one nfl championship and blanton collier was the coach that year um and things lightened up a little bit in the Browns. he he modernized uh, his offense a bit they they threw you know and and that tells you something about the relative importance maybe of of and and running backs were far more important in those days than they are Mm. you know today you built brown had consecutive you know, like three four consecutive seasons of 280 carries you know in a 14 games you know 12 or 14 game season mm. which is the other thing oh he made fun of of OJ Simpson and the the 100 yard games you know so I got 16 games to, to do to get a you know you play a 16 game season of course you're gonna get a thousand yards you know
1: right. <laughs> I did it in 12. you know <laughs> there, there's a difference well, like, there. Wait. I'm still uh stuck back about three or four minutes ago just trying to work out how much money the cost of the dirty dozen spent on average per night at the Wimble Club.
0: <laughs> <And how laughs> I don't know if they that... got back. I don't know if they got back to London, but you know, you you look at those guys, and you know. Lee Marvin was a Marine in, you know, World War II and fought on Iwo Jima. Uh, Ernest Borgnine was in, you know, they were all in the war, all the older guys, you know. Yeah. There were some real men in there, you know, uh, in the old fashioned don't make in, them like that anymore. World. Hey, speaking no, of that's which, that's the truth.
1: I, um, uh, and as I said, uh, brilliant piece, and we'll uh, we'll push that out. And Mike mentioned his Patreon column forward slash Mike Carlson FMT. where there'll be uh, a longer form piece in there as well. We'll link to that too in the show notes. Uh, speaking of, Oh, one more
0: line, which, yeah, which sure has on. nothing to do, but it's one of the greatest lines of all time. Come on. Shirley Povich, who was a, a great sports writer for The Washington Post. Mm. And um, Ed, Ed, you remember Edward Bennett, um, George Preston Marshall was the owner of the Redskins, the Venskins, as we call them. And had no black players, only team in the NFL with no black players, you know, was a segregationist, you know, unabashedly and um, only signed only got black players when Robert Kennedy told him he couldn't use D.C. Stadium anymore, which is now called RFK Stadium or, you know, as his stay unless they did this. And um, so Cleveland come into uh, Washington and Jim Brown scores three touchdowns as they won. And Shirley Povich wrote Jim Brown, born ineligible to play for the Redskins, integrated their end zone three times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. I don't he was Shirley. a great.
0: He was a great writer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, I was thinking of you the other day because I went to see Casino on the big screen, which I've I've never seen on the big screen before. Oh, every man yeah. was showing it. Um, mm. And actually, I hadn't seen Casino for a long time because for reasons that I'm sure one of our listeners out there will know, but copyright, contractual, whatever, it was unavailable on any of the main streaming platforms for quite a few years. Um, yeah. So you could only get it on DVD and I packed up the DVD player a while ago. I, so... wonder, I
0: wonder who, I wonder who held it back.
1: Yeah. I don't know why, but it's, it's out now and you can, you can see it again yeah. and, and on the big screen. And I wonder if those things are, are connected, but uh, it uh, really held up. Yeah, Um, you would
0: have been about two the first
1: time you went. Yeah, right. I smuggled in. It was just a couple of things. I'm keen on your take being such a such a movie buff, an aficionado. The story of uh, and the the situation with Scorsese being overlooked time and time again and then getting um i guess the makeup oscar for the departed a lot of people see it that way because he didn't yeah, I, I... get honored in in the past casino is the, is it going to go down as because the only academy award nomination it had was was Sharon Stone as, as best actress which uh and she was up against difficult competition i guess that explains why scorsese and, and the film itself perhaps uh, didn't make the shortlist but will casino go down in your mind as one of the most glaring oscar emissions just in terms of recognition on the in terms of nomination (sighs) not necessarily winner because it's who who are the other okay so braveheart won best picture
0: okay yeah
1: apollo 13 babe (laughs) il Il pastino the postman um that's il pastino as opposed to the kevin costner the postman (laughs) a few years after uh and sense and sensibility right well
0: that's a strong list i mean I, th- I think Il Postino is a great movie. Babe is a really good movie. Um, Apollo 13 is a really good movie. Mm. Um, it's a tough competition. It's um, very tough competition. And I think the thing with Scorsese movies, especially when Joe Pesky's in them, mm. is that they seem the audience perceives him as being the same, you know, as, as being just another, okay, let's let Joe pesky go. Um, let's so let that, Robert De Niro be strong, you know, on the other side and solid. And, you know, that's, that's kind of like what Scorsese does. And I um,
1: felt that it's a really interesting point because having rewatched Goodfellas, well, Christ, I've watched Goodfellas about 75 times, but I <laughs> watched it again recently. And that clearly there are similarities in, in both characters. Yeah, and absolutely. Right. With, with, yeah. with Pesci and De Niro, but, what struck me, Mike, watching it again, and, and maybe it's the the experience on the big screen, was I think Pesci's performance was in Casino was really really interesting, and I think underrated. I think he added. Whilst the the parallels are obvious with his with his character in in Goodfellas, psychopathic, you know, yeah. prone to bursts of instinctive and extreme violence the, the most dangerous out of all of uh, a, a gang of dangerous characters i there was more substance and maybe the the, the character was uh, allowed more time was allowed to develop and, and breathe more but i really felt he brought something markedly different to to the role and i think the criticism of it being identical is it is unfair de niro too in, in a slightly different way i, I felt that yeah but sharon but- stone's
0: you know but we think of them again in the same way what's what's pesky's thing is is that unhinged psychopath that might burst out at any time the affable right. guy who you know who who is a psychopath and i'm i'm just looking now i'm looking at the list of um of his movies to see where where i would place casino but i like um obviously the the great ones to me are taxi driver um raging bull yeah Um, which I think I once listed as the greatest sports movie ever um, Mm. a few years ago. Um, King of comedy, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Such a good Um, film. Mean Streets, Mm -hmm. um, which is, which sets that template. Mean Streets is the template for a lot of the movies um, that follow. And then strangely enough, the one I like, the other one that jumps out at me here looking at it is Age of Innocence. Hmm. Which I which I think is a really really fine movie and completely not what you would you know Wait, not what it, you
1: would David Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer right yeah yeah, yeah. Edith
0: yeah, yeah. Ward, Edith Wharton novel set cool. in, the, in the the gold the golden age Um I said and there's a lot there's a lot that like you I, I didn't think The Departed was particularly exciting because I'd seen the Korean original which I think you know is better um, and the the Irishman put me off because the whole cgi thing was was yeah it was so much trying to trying to keep that same template going and having to use the same people to do it but it didn't work you know because because it's too distracting
1: because you're too conscious of it what's happening is that
0: yeah absolutely there's a scene where de niro beats up the grocery guy who's you know Hit, hit or pushed his daughter, mm. uh, or something, and you know, it, it's really strong until he starts actually kicking. Then, you know, he looks like a
1: 75 year old guy <laughs> kicking, to kicking someone on the, on the ground. And it's um, you mentioned Mean Streets because I was thinking of um trilogies other, unofficially, so and and thinking of Lynch with Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, and then Inland Empire, mm-hmm. and thinking of Goodfellas Casino and, and the Irishman. In terms of where there are obvious similarities, we've covered some of them in character, in in performance, uh, in storyline, in, in in many respects as well. But then fundamental differences. And Goodfellas, uh, uh, of that genre of uh, of that area in Scorsese's work, is the most rounded, the most complete, the most um, yeah, uh, most accessible, yeah. I guess as well. Yeah, right?
0: uh, yeah, and and I think um, you know, I think it's it's Liotta who gives it that roundedness because he's the, he's the outsider. He's kind of, you know, he's both the narrator, but he's also the figure who's just a little bit not, not fitting in with with the others. And that, that gives it, that gives it that sort of fullness that, um, that um, I don't think Casino has um, to the same
1: extent I'm trying because to think. You know, of, I have Sharon Stone, and and she as some of the in terms of the major awards or the or the prominent awards, I think, yeah. patronizing some of the others. But she was the only one that got the nod because in she
0: she got that for holding her own against De Niro and Peschi, I think she basically. more than held her own. Yeah, I thought she, I yeah, thought she absolutely yeah it's that's thoroughly. what that's what i mean you know because
1: she wasn't subsumed by those oh i two, see i'm with you yeah, by, yeah, yeah, by yeah, those right, two guys is, yeah very understandable i mean so she was nominated and it's also uh, leaving las vegas was out this year which is which is a terrific film i mean you know the book is is one of my favorites and um if you haven't john o'brien is a is a is a brilliant writer there's also a, a great book he wrote called he only wrote three or four died very young um stripper lessons is a really really underrated book by john o'brien um but leaving las vegas and uh nick cage and elizabeth Shue, who's, who's terrific in that as well she was nominated for best actress susan sarandon won it for dead man walking right. um meryl streep and emma thompson uh, uh, along with stone so again i mean yeah it was an incredibly competitive year but even in in the supporting i would de niro and pesci they would i guess not be um considered their roles are too prominent to, to fit in supporting actor, right?
0: Yeah, so, I think so. so. And 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 if you nominated them both an actor, then they 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 eat into each other's votes. But I was that's... reading
1: that Sharon Stone wanted to be put forward for Best Actress, knowing yeah. that she wasn't going to win it, right? But she could have got Best Supporting actually Probably would, well, arguably would have walked it, right? Um, but she yeah. she wanted to be up there as as Best Actress. Um, yeah. Anyway, ter- uh, Casino, absolutely terrific to see it on the big screen. And I'm going to start doing more of that films that, because it's so easy now to. Um... Yeah. And it's such
0: a difference. I mean, you, yeah, exactly. we, we, I watch say, so mo- we watch, we watch movies our on our TVs at That's home. That's what I mean. Remember? Yeah. It's too easy to do that. Or on a computer. But, but when yeah. you see that, when you see it on the big screen, it, you, you know, um it, it's less so nowadays because people don't make movies with the big screen in mind. Um, Right. They're they're thinking they're thinking about the size of a television screen and, and, you know, keeping more stuff in the foreground and using the background. It's kind of like when the transition came from the the standard um, black and white movie, you know, size um, screen to technical. To Panavision or Cinemascope or, you know, to widescreen wide format, which when you watch on television now or at home, you lose, you know, because it gets letterboxed down or or else it gets cut and you, you don't see the edges of, this, of the frame. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting change that's going on, you know, kind of like the NFL changing the kickoff rule
1: what are you at? what are you make how's that of? for a segue <laughs> i mean a, a flawless carlson flawless i was going to segue yeah. to adrian peterson saying he hasn't he might not be done yet a little bit earlier on but i think we could uh we could leave yeah. that um because it's slim pick is in terms of news if you just go to any of the major yeah any of the ap major was scientists. mentioned
0: was mentioned in a lot of jim brown's stories because you know jim brown was asked about that you know and um he kind of defended a parents right to discipline their children but not but but not to the level that ap had you AP know had done. it wasn't just like my my father beating me with the belt it was kind of like beating <laughs> he was hitting his kid in sensitive areas and stuff
1: before we get to your perfect rules segue, ap just that story is that he said he he's hasn't mentally i haven't hung it up is what he's officially hung it up we'll oh no, so what did what Matt happens. Ryan. <laughs> Matt Wright said the same thing as well. So,
0: so someone could sign them both. <laughs> well, he's
1: 351, to be precise, yards off tying. So 352 to overtake Barry Sanders on the all-time list and put him fourth right. AP if he did come back. So, so
0: he could play three or four seasons and get that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Rule change. What do you think? Talk to me. Talk to us.
0: Well, I don't like the kickoff change. Um, what don't you like and, about um, it? I'm sure this is aimed at Bill Belichick because you remember when they put the 25 yard touchback rule in Mm. Belichick had Jake Bailey kicking off the punter. And I think they kept Bailey around for a couple of years when his punting kind of declined because he was so good at, at placing high kicks inside the 10, but not into the end zone and the patriots any team that depends on special teams is going to want to try to get that 5 yards you might get you know by keeping a team inside the 20 or in, so even inside the 25 those few yards mm. so this is basically designed for teams that don't bother with special teams right <laughs> so you know so you can just take a you can just take a, a fair catch and and get the ball at the 25 instead of having to try to return it from the 5 yard line past the 25 i mean to an extent It's crazy in the NFL because teams do return kickoffs and generally, you know, what was considered anything above 25 yards in the past used to be considered a really good kickoff return. So you you get a 27 yard kickoff return from the goal line and it's only two yards more than you would get if you, you know, were in the goal in the end zone and took the touchback. So it's kind of taken a lot of that value away. It's kind of it, the only value, the more the major value left is on really good kick kickoff returns and and long ones, and we'll lose some of that. And I don't like losing some of that. And I don't like things that restrict the play. The other big rule change was allowing them going back to the idea of a third quarterback um, who doesn't you know doesn't count against the active uh, the game day roster. Like a up, yeah. Yeah, but he can suit up and be an emergency uh and again that that's knee jerk. The NFL specializes in knee jerk reactions, but that's knee-jerk to the 49ers um playoff game last year, you know, where sure. they, they they had two active quarterbacks both got hurt. Um, and they they you know they wound up using having
1: to use an injured quarterback. I mean, and I think it makes sense, although there is oh, that yeah, jeopardy. Absolutely. The, the jeopardy of it, it's like in football when you know a keeper's injured and then the backup comes on is sent off so like when kyle walk had to go, <laughs> go, and go there's, it's yeah. always quite fun watching it out for your player have to go at goal so it's yeah. your, on, <laughs>
0: on, on, on the I one hand it yeah. is fun it is fun in the nfl where you only have 16 games i you know yeah. the quote-unquote competition committee kind of wants to keep the the quote-unquote competition quote-unquote fair um so they they um that's how, that's how they, they wanted to do, but I think. Well, you it's know, like
1: the game, do you remember the, the game a couple of years back when Kendall Hinton had to quarterback for the Broncos? Because yeah. He, yeah. I mean, it was, just, yeah, like, that was the
0: COVID, um, a yeah, COVID, a COVID issue. Yeah, I mean, they, they were down, he was like the fifth choice, I think at that, yeah. at that point. Um, but um, you know, when the kickoff rule came out, the first thing I thought of, oh, were they going to have like a designated mm. kickoff returner now, or, you know, like a des- designated fair catch guy, because mm. your, your kickoff returner now becomes the guy with the best hands, not the guy who's the best returner, because you just want him to catch, put his hand yeah. up in the air and then catch uh, the ball,
1: right? Yeah, you yeah. know,
0: and, um, and there is a rule about taking fair catches on uh, that give you a free, you can take a free kick after a fair catch, mm-hmm. which has been used a couple of times on punts, you know, where guys take a fair and then they try to kick a field goal um, from that. Or Doug Flutie tries to drop, kick a field goal from, from that. Um,
1: I oh, we have to look that up. Is that, that again, that would be somewhere. Yeah. It's an
0: old, be. it's an old, it's one of the old leftovers from the kind yeah. of rugby rugby, like. Um, right. I going to say. Game, yeah, yeah. game that America, that American football
1: was. And. You know, th- um, just thinking of Ken, just jumping back to Kendall Hinton. This is what I always <laughs> find incredible. <And> <laughs> Your I, man. I love Kendall. <laughs> I'm to get Kendall Hinton Broncos jersey. But. We saw you know, as you said it was the COVID or a COVID affected season, and um, he gets thrust in and is so, so off the pace. It's, it's jarring, and yet this is a guy who was a superstar in high school. And you think about the athlete, how good a quarterback he is, and yet you put him in that situation, and he and he and he's so bad. Just emphasizes how unbelievably talented. That these guys are because that, you know, that's the,
0: exactly it's exactly the point and it, it's why to some extent we've been moving you know to college style offense the spread offense the the mike leach kind of stuff um now we're, we're seeing a lot more of of what i call single wing football you know with with the des- with the quarterback being a, a participating runner um which gives you the numbers you know gives you a numbers advantage that you don't have when you're in the the T formation or, you mm-hmm. know, or when, when he's handing off. But the difference is of course, Mike, Mike Leach's schemes were designed to isolate his one or two top players, playmakers against a single coverage basically, or to, to get them open as a, and to spread the defense out so that the better athletes on the big, bigger teams defenses couldn't, you know, would be delayed a little bit in in getting to his quarterbacks and you know lots of quick stuff but the the difference in athletic ability between playing in the sec well even the sec but but he was playing in whatever it was at the time you know the the big 8 the big 12 the big something um the big easy <laughs> um, and, um, the difference between the athletic ability, you know, but of the worst cornerback in, on the opposing team and, and, and the best court cornerback on some of the teams that you were playing in that, in that conference is, is huge, yeah. you know, and, um, and you have defensive ends who, you know, who can hunt you down, track you down linebackers who can speed to the place. And, you know, it it's kind of inevitable that if you're. If you're running one of those offenses, a Jalen Hurts or, you know, Anthony uh, Richardson, this, coming up this year, presumably is going to run a similar thing. That you know, sooner or later, someone's going to catch up to you. You mm-hmm. know, and nobody's got the we. You know, it looked like Kyler Murray, who isn't big enough to run through people, but you know, had the ability to avoid bad. You know, avoid hard tackles, avoid. Mm-hmm. But you know, but he, sooner or later, you, you're gonna you're gonna get caught at it. You know. Um, it's an inter- It's a really fascinating thing that, that's happening in the NFL now. You know, and, and how how different the you know how different the teams are between yeah. say between Tennessee or Atlanta's approach. You yeah. know, w- two tight ends and a lot of play yeah. action. Um, even the Steelers trying to run r- run first. You know, Bill Belichick yeah, kind run of yeah. run first guy. And teams Hi, playing everybody. those spread those spread yeah. offenses, and you know a lot of that influences the 49ers as well you know the um and and Miami because they're running the same basically the same offense that's why when you looked at Miami's draft you looked at the you know really speedy oh why well, why did they draft him he wasn't so great and i know he wasn't so great in college but but he's a one cut Fast runner, you know, he's
1: going and, to work with what yeah,
0: McDaniel wants to do. The, if they don't um, get into, if they don't get into the playoffs, they'll have the best four by one hundred
1: yeah,
0: uh, yeah, re, re- relay team in the NFL. They'll be, be great the most, at the Pro at
1: the Pro Bowl. At the Pro <laughs> they're the Pro Bowl, and they'll be great, um, great to watch. Uh, but ultimately, achieving not a huge amount much like the dolphins I fell in love with back in, the, back in, the,
0: back in the Yeah, period. someone was asking about uh semi they asked you about how the Patriots will get rid of Bill Belichick which I'm not mm. sure they will do but you know will they leave him in to break Shula's record you know and, and then kind oh, of yeah, move sure. on yeah, cuz yeah. he probably wants to and all. but I thought that's a really good analogy because look at Shula's last year with the last yeah, year yeah, yeah. with yeah. the Dolphins when they weren't doing particularly well and a change probably would have been good just for the fact that it was a change, mm. um, you know, and um, so I. But I think the same thing will happen with Bill. I I suspect he's he's his aim is to become the coast coach with the most wins, the winningest
1: yeah. coach. Hey, let's mm. wrap with because I trailed it at the top, and I I'm I'm genuinely interested in your perspective on the XFL because like it hasn't uh, maybe predictably <laughs> n- nailed massive ratings. It hasn't no. really cut through in terms of consciousness, but. It has achieved quite a lot in terms of just as Dwayne Johnson said, giving players second chances. A number of XFL players have been given looks and indeed contracts, maybe many of them short term, but nevertheless, opportunities with NFL teams, which is it's, it's, it could only be a good thing, Mike.
0: It's well, I you know I've always wanted to see another development league. Um, the problem is that the basic problem with NFL Europe was that. It had two purposes. One was to promote the NFL, and the other one was to develop players. It didn't do a great job of promoting the NFL because it wasn't the NFL. So that, you know, in Germany, where football was really popular, the fans gravitated to the teams in Dusseldorf and and Frankfurt and and then Hamburg, not in Berlin, however. Um, And um, it wasn't, you know... when the crowds got bored in Britain with the exhibition games that came over, you know, there was this gap for a while that the, that the Monarchs and Claymores were supposed to fill, but they didn't really fill, fill that. And, and that's why having the regular season games here was such a stroke of genius. You know, I, I didn't like the idea at the time of losing NFL Europe, but you know, credit where credit's due. it, It makes them a lot of money. It promotes, you know, it, it, Promotes the game really well. I don't think the XFL, the XFL has the same kind of problem. Right. Um, It's not major league football and it's very obviously not major league football. So it's not going to sell anything in and of itself. Um, And the NFL doesn't need its promotion to to succeed. They don't need any more promotion. The problem with the league in the development sense is that with the huge rosters that we have now, Mm. the practice squad is up to so many people that teams are unwilling to give their practice squad players to the league. So the league is really signing free agents below that, you know, below that category. They're, they're signing the guys who don't have contracts because in NFL Europe, at least the teams that bought into the process were signing guys and assigning them to NFL Europe to see what more or less what they couldn't do much more than what they could do, you know, yeah. what they would need. And it had its value in the people, people that were produced and also in the fact that you cut guys who you don't think can, you know, play, you save the injury settlements and stuff like that in, in camp. And if you find even a couple of guys at the minimum salary level who can help your team that hurt, but now with all the guys they have, that's less likely. I don't see a lot of the XFL players from this season moving into the NFL and actually contributing the way a guy I mean, it's easy to say like Kurt Warner, Leroy Glover, Brian Waters, you know, but even a guy like Mike Maslowski, say, or, you know, or um, George Coghill in Denver, you know, who who eventually became starters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't I don't really see that happening. And maybe a better thing to do would be to scale the league down a bit. Right lower ex you know take away the television expectation it makes it it probably gets enough viewers to be profitable to yeah i out.
1: guess so with the sponsorship i mean it, i was thinking of the um not least because of the khan connection but how tony khan has built up aew which i mean ever since wcw collapsed and was ultimately um consumed by the wwe there hasn't been a rival to wwe for 25 ish 20 plus years right and but can't smash well, there the- was
0: there was there was TNA, which was a a TNA, giant, a of it, yeah. a, a giant
1: cess- cesspool of money being thrown away. <laughs> I'm I'm quite fascinated by TNA, but yeah, but uh, which didn't get and didn't manage to get traction. But AEW's managed to do that. I mean, they've they've got a uh, they've got a gig this summer at Wembley Stadium just to just to outline how yeah, successful it's yeah. become. But I guess it's because, to your point, the, the NFL is so deep that if you are not flavor of the month in the wwe but you're a big name star you just jump shit but that's never gonna happen with any secondary league in american football because there is always another team to go to for a for a big star for most of them anyway right there's no yeah i mean some big name stars even if they're fading even if they're veterans that have seen better days they need that
0: success in in football and anything is being in the right place at the right time Mm. um and so many guys you know, especially on the fringe. The point I always make is the, the the pyramid of talent. Each time you take a step down, the pyramid gets wider. There's more and more guys who have the same level of talent. And re- what really good coaches do, and this is this is something I learned from my college coach, and Belichick um, knows the same thing. I know. You know, it, it's it's not expecting players to do what they can't do. A good coach takes a player and puts them in a position to succeed by by understanding what he can do Mm -hmm. um, and kind of adjust, Mm -hmm. adjusting to that. So if you're fixated on your system and you need specific kinds of guys, you tend not to sign guys who aren't that specific kind of guy. Um, And if you wind up with them, you try to adjust your system a, a bit to that, you know, and when you look at, when you look at the teams that Bill won with, you know, there's certain stars, but there's a lot of guys who were pretty much replaceable pieces on and didn't succeed on other teams when they went to them, but were put in the position to, you know, to succeed because they had certain talents that he he wanted for his schemes. And they kind of I, I think of linemen like Joe and who played in Scotland and Brandon Gorin started, a excuse me, on a Super Bowl winning team, you know, guys who you know, weren't going to play much anywhere anywhere, anywhere else but, so yeah, right, i i right, think right. that that that's something that need, needs to be taken in, into account and that's why a development lead is is good because guys can get second chances um mm. you know in a couple of cases in nfl europe guys just had to get bigger brandon noble was a defensive tackle in barcelona he stayed two years in the league then got to the skins i think it was um and uh he had put on, he'd gone from about two two seventy-five to maybe three oh five as a defensive tackle. Now he suffered incredible knee injuries as a result, but yeah, I'm sure if you talk to him, he'd say it was worth it, you know. Yeah. Um whereas Stumpy Howe, who was like six one and three hundred and not, but he had no role in the NFL. He could be a good inside run stuffing tackle in in nfl europe but he couldn't do it in in the nfl um
1: I'm trying to think of the better name stumpy or lefty uh obviously. oh they're
0: great i mean you know pat <laughs> pat the, the football coach at stanford was in those days was called pappy waldorf pappy, pappy wins <laughs> and pappy wins. waldorf is a great is pappy a great. Wins. Yeah, he could be he could be on
1: uh, the muppets <laughs> he definitely could uh carlson always a pleasure so oh great yes yeah. so, i'm so glad to talk about jim brown you know rest in peace no, it was uh really, really fascinating uh, to hear your thoughts on him. And as I mentioned, I Mike uh at his comment, which is patreon.com, Mike F M T E is available to subscribe to. We're gonna link to it in the show notes. We'll push stuff out on Twitter as well. So read more. stylings and profilings from the big man at Carlson (laughs) Sports on Twitter as well. (laughs) I'm going to go watch some TNA wrestling.
0: I'm going to dye my hair white. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: That would be great. We're going to get you and Flair together. The Ric Flair strut. (laughs) We're going to get you and Flair together sometime down the line. That's a match made (laughs) in heaven. Go after yourself, bud. You too, mate. Thanks. Podcast Network.